everyone is responsible for the energy that they bring to the room. Positivity like yields positivity. Going into a marketing organization and some of our clients where they're pushing numbers all day to tell us that the best meetings they have are when they get to sit down and talk about creative. If we bring a positive attitude and a positive message and our positive energy to the experience, I think that transcends through the process, transcends through the work, and then transcends through the campaigns and just the brand in general. Welcome back to the Honest Marketing Podcast, where you learn proven strategies to grow your business without selling your soul. I'm your host, Travis Albritton, and today we're talking all about branding. My guest, Jim Petrozinski, is the CEO of SoulSite, which is a premium branding agency that works with a bunch of the Fortune 100 companies like Hershey's and, and Coors and, and all of them to really help facilitate and shape their brand identity and the message of how they are perceived in the marketplace. And so in this conversation, we're going to talk about what branding is, what it isn't. Can businesses afford to ignore branding and just focus on product development? What are some of the key things that you need to have in mind when you're thinking about branding and positioning for your own business? And then just dig into some really good details, practical things you can do to improve the branding of your business. Make sure you stick around to the very end of the episode where I'll give you my number one takeaway from my conversation with Jim. But here it is. Let's dive in. Well, Jim, welcome to the Honest Marketing Podcast. Super happy to have you here and talk all about branding. Thanks for having me, Travis. So just to set a little bit of context before we dig into our conversation, can you tell everyone listening a little bit about you, your background, and then also the work that you do at SoulSight? Sure. Just in a, a minute and a half segment, so I don't bore you too much. <laughs> uh, I've been with SoulSight for 27 years, uh, started out as a designer, art director, creative director, strategist, account manager, CMO. I've run, um, you know, starting with three of us to about to we, we fluctuate between 65 and 70 teammates right now. Um, and we are a full service, um, holistic branding agency. So, um, really working on fortune 100 brands, but also working on innovative brands or startups, um, in the marketplace. And, um, it, you know, the, What's fun about the agency is like, depending what you're working on or who, who your clients are, you know, the, the, the business, you know, the business changes and keep everything stays interesting. So it's a constant learning environment, um, that, um, is really exciting to be part of and really being, it's really exciting to work on fortune 100 brands that have been around for a hundred plus years, um, and be able to be part of that, those stories too. So it's like, as, as we work on those, we leave legacies, um, we are located in Chicago. We are our headquarters, but we do have, uh, staff that work remotely, um, as far away as Hawaii. So, um, but uh, we, we work, our, our work at, has become a little bit more flexible in terms of like geographic location, um, which has helped us in some cases, depending on markets that we're in or where we're going. But, um, but yeah, that's, uh, in a, in a quick nutshell, you know, who we are and what we do. Um, but uh, yeah, our, our, our core, purpose and vision is around branding. And uh, we like to say we build emotive brands that move, move people, move product and move culture. So in a nutshell, that's our positioning. So yeah, how, how do we change the world for the better with the business that we're involved with? Wow. Great question. I think, um, you know, I think I've, that's something that, you know, as uh, coming from a creative background coming from a fine arts background and design background and um moving into a world of marketing where those skills could be used um to tap into branding i think um 
brands often define our culture as we see it, you know, and, and, and where we're at in culture. I, we often say, you know, come to, come to people as we are or come to people as they are, um, instead of trying to have them come to you. So it's, um, it's almost a, you have to be a little bit vulnerable and you have to be a little bit proactive when it comes to those types of things in order to make change. And I think as we, as we move forward, that has to come with trustworthiness, authenticity, um, empathy, and a high, high level of vulnerability to be able to say, we didn't get it right. Or, you know, like we really, you really need to lean in to understand. So what we, and, and thinking about, um, what we do in branding and in marketing is, um, also as we say, it defines culture. We're defining the artifacts that 200 years from now, people are going to study to understand where, you know, where we came from and how we've, how we've improved or how we've adjusted or how we've thought about making the world a better place, you know, or how we're thinking about, um, thinking about what are the needs that we have for consumers today, not just putting out, um, throwing brands in the market is not just about, um, it is not just all about filling the shelves to make money, but like actually putting something in market to fulfill a need. And those are the things, those are the products and those are the brands that are more successful in what we do. For sure. Now we're, we're saying the word brand a lot and I know it's a buzzword in marketing and in sales and business. It's like you think, and, and I think a lot of, especially earlier business owners, they think of brand as like this aspirational thing. It's like, I start a business that is profitable enough that I don't lose my house. And then eventually I shift into legacy mode. And that's when I start thinking about brand and like this idea of like, how am I perceived? But I actually think that from my perspective, that seems a little bit backwards. The way that you get there is by having the branding that tells the story to get to you to where you want to go. But I would love to hear in your words, why is branding important for businesses? And why is it not enough today to just make great widgets? Whereas in the past, you could just have the most robust toaster oven and that was all you needed. But now that's just not going to cut it anymore. Great question too. I think that the brand brand for us, as we describe it, is super is is an expression and also a story. So there's that old notion of like product first or brand first. And I think, you know, if you think about brands that have been around or have been sustainable for a number of years, start with a story. They start with passion they start with experimentation and off but they're rooted in someone or something that has purpose so brand has to have purpose in order to be able to move forward and with that purpose a set of values a set of attributes that make up who what a brand is you know it's often for some it's a stretch to con- to use the analogy of brands can be more human, but they can be more, the definitely the more human brands are the brands that, that we connect with because a brand is more than, you know, my, the, the Dunkin' Donuts logo on a, on a, on a cup. Um, it's the experience that you get when you go into, when you're in the environment, it's the experience that you get when you're sharing it with other people. It's the experience you get when you're work talking to the, um, the coffee, clerk behind the counter, the barista. I don't know if that's what donut Dunkin' Donuts calls them, but, um, but that whole ex- experience and the colors, the, the colors they use, the phrases they use, the, um, the energy that's in the space. It's like, it's all part of the brand story. Um, and one, 
thing cannot coexist without the other, right? It has to holistically make sense and be cohesive. Um, the second part of your story, I think kind of ladders, kind of ladders to what a brand means is, um, we see a lot of what I call what you, stunt marketing where you, where, you know, it's not, you can't just do one-off logos or you can't just do something that just looks cool or looks beautiful. And, you know, ha- that a lot of time that is a lot of times that's fleeting. Um, and a lot of times, um, you confuse them at your message. Um, when you, when you try to just gain attention for two months or three months with a, a campaign or a, a, a stunt that, is just solely to gain awareness for a short period of time. Um, I like to say, and the team here, um, a- as we talk, branding is a marathon. It's not a sprint and it's a team sport, not an individual sport. So when I say a team sport, not only what we're doing here is terms in developing the brand and the brand strategy, the brand story, but also what that looks is visualized in consumer package goods. But how does that come to life in? you know, um, marketing campaigns and, um, uh, advertising campaigns, social campaigns is all the, is how we think about it. So it's not, you know, we did start as strictly as, a, as a consumer packaged goods company. So my heart is a little bit into the, the four dimensionality of what, what that brand feels like when it's in your hand or, you know, you're wearing it. Um, and, uh, so, that lo- the longevity that that has to have in the marketplace in order to be successful takes time. You know, it doesn't, you know, there are, there are lightning does strike in a bottle every once in a while, but I think it be- it's becoming rarer and rarer just because of the opportunities that people have to get things to market um, on their own. And you talked about how your philosophy is, you know, that branding is holistic. It's not just like, here's a list of colors and the logos that we're going to use. It's much bigger than that. What are those core elements that that you look for, both with brands that you work with, but then just others in the marketplace that you think every good brand needs to have figured out in order to have a holistic understanding of who they are, what they stand for, and how they're positioning themselves in the marketplace? There's an interesting tool that we like to think about in in a different dimension of just a, an axis, but you know, what's on that Z and the E access or, you know, and how do those come together in terms of how we think about the brand? I think you really have to know what your expectations are going into what you're doing. So what is, what is, what are our expectations as the owner of the brand? What is the expectation of the the market or the human beings that are going to be consuming, buying, using our brands? And do, are those aligned? You know, and where and where it aligned are there? Is 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 there a way that we need? Is is there work that we need need to do to create alignment, or can we just start to build that alignment? And on the other side of the axis is like perception. So we may we have to be careful not to stay in our own bubble and just think about this is our perception of who we are and what we're doing, but what is being perceived on the other side? You know, how are we being perceived? And that message goes along with everything that we do internally here in our office also in terms of how we communicate, collaborate on in any initiative. You know, it's like stepping back and really thinking about what's the expectation and then what's the perspective. And I don't know that that's often used in business. Um, I think there's a lot of metrics on, you know, um, are we, are, are we positioning ourselves as premium versus value or um, are we positioning ourselves, you know, you know, and I think, you know, there's a lot more that has to go into that thinking because whether it's value or premium, 
it almost doesn't matter in terms of what how, and how it connects um, to the human relationship with the brand. How do you condense the outside perception of a brand into something that's actionable as far as like being able to chart a path forward once you have that feedback? Because that for me personally has always been the wrestling match is like I can get feedback, but then I'm filtering it through kind of like my own perception of how am I responding to this person or this group of people. But then it's also, okay, if the feedback I'm getting, the perception I'm getting is not what I hoped it would be, how do you then that turn that into something that you can take action on to shift that perspective? I mean, a lot of it, we we do a lot of insight work with the different companies we work with at different scale and at different levels. Uh, currently, this has been in the works for 15 plus years. You know, we talk about brand and having an emotional reason to believe. Um, I think a lot of times we're subjectively choosing what we think that emotion is and not really understanding that that's really the emotion that's being experienced on the other side of the relationship or, you know, or, or the transaction. And I think, uh, so we've been working, um, with Sprout Insight and a professor from the University of Illinois to make, uh, emotional reason to believe um, a way to understand and, and, and a way to understand it and, and quantify it so that we can utilize that data in a meaningful way that's just not subjective. I mean, focus groups are great for starting to understand, but they're a small representation of really what what's being perceived out in the world and what's being perceived across the country um, in different locations. Because as you know, you live in Florida, I live in Illinois, very different experiences of culture, even though we live in the same country, right? Um, there are a lot of similarities, but there are differences too. So, um, understanding that core emotion, um, I think that we, there's an argument of whether it's 70 to 95% of our decisions are made by our subconscious and made with emotion. And everyone says, don't make decisions with your emotion, but it's next to impossible because we're wired to be human beings. And, um, so that's what we're trying to do. Again, we're still test piloting how to get that how to get there and that question that you have of like how do you change that perception um that's part emotion is part of it um i think the other part of it is just listening i mean i think that you really just have to listen whether that's like listening socially listening to people talk doing interviewed stakeholder interviews but really listening to what the needs are versus what we actually want to get out of something in the marketplace. Of course, we all want to do well in the marketplace. We all want to um, have the awareness that, you know, some of the, some major brands, you know, like, you know, Nike and Apple and, you know, all the uh, Coca-Cola have, but it takes a lot of listening to really understand, you know, where those are at before you can really become a leader in, in those categories. Yeah. Well, once you figure that out, I think the sky's the limit because <laughs> that's, you know, like I even think about myself and my own journey in marketing, how, you know, early on, you're just like consuming lots of case studies and like educational materials, like how to market, how to become sticky, like how to get yourself out there. And then you start to see like the emotional undercurrents of the marketing campaigns that you're interacting with on a daily basis. And, and I think for me, at least my purchasing is at least 90% emotional. But the problem is now, now I know it is. And so I'm having to like reconcile in my head, like this is totally an emotional purchase that I'm trying to justify logically. Like, no, no, I really do need this from this very particular brand. And it's not at all because of 
their images on Instagram and now it's positioned as this kind of product or this kind of identity that I I want to be associated with. And so now I'm going to spend three times as much on a t-shirt here versus at Target because I want to emotionally attach to the message of that brand. It, it drives me yeah. nuts internally, like, but... I, a great example, a great example of that is like, and they're usually impulse buys at the C store or when you're checking out, but yeah. we did a lot of work with Hershey's to get appetite appeal on their individual packs that are sold at, at retail. And when people, you know, there's a, there's the brand name, right? There's a logo, you know, what the experience of a Reese's peanut butter cup is, but to see it photographed on package emotionally is driving that impulse to want to pick it up and buy it even more. Right. It's like a great looking something that tit that looks like it's going to taste great is tapping into that emotional sense of like, I really want, I, re- I think I deserve a snack, you know, <laughs> on the way home, on my way home in the car. And I better eat this before I get home, before I see the kids. Yeah. So, well, and, and the subconscious part of that is so powerful because like they've, I'm, they've done studies on uh, coffee drinkers that, your brain will actually start to react as if it's consuming caffeine just by thinking about coffee. Yeah. Like your brain has actually trained itself to certain behaviors and certain triggers. And so, you know, with as marketers, you know, on the honest marketing podcast with great power comes great responsibility, you know, so use this to make the world better and actually improve the lives of the people that are interacting with your brand, uh, you know, and not getting them hooked on like hydrocodone or something like that. Uh, well, I think that to, to that point, though, I mean, if you take it a level deeper, and I know this sounds a little bit like psychology, but the more that we are loyal to to being honest and um, really being genuine, as I mentioned before, and trustworthy, the you know, I think that leads, I think that starts to drive culture to do the same. I mean, we're living in a time where there's, it feels like there's a lot of, we, we don't know who to listen to. We don't know what's right. We don't know what's wrong. And um, I've had this conversation with my wife many times. I think it's our responsibility as marketers and branding people to like start setting and setting that example, you know, like it's, you know, what are the things that are important to people? What are the things that are going to create loyalty? What are the things that are going to create collaboration and, and um, community? And uh, I think, you know, we, we can do it in micro doses. I don't think there's a one, one uh big solve that fixes everything i think first is understanding and listening and then the next is like starting to act on those things that that are important and you know i've seen brands you know part you know participate here and there and try to to activate in different ways um the we've we'd helped develop the Vizzy brand for molson cores and you know they um recognized uh the opportunity to really support the LGBTQ community in um, the Chicagoland area. And I think that, and, and even globally, but even the, the sponsorship and some of the work that they did and some of the work that was going into the mark, in, into the marketing, um, just showing that support that, you know, like they're, the, you know, every, everyone's included kind of notion um, was really, is really great to see, you know, like that there is that some consciousness going there and it wasn't meant, it wasn't meant to, uh, it wasn't meant to like, try to pull in another target or try to pull in an influencer market, but meant to really let people know that they're included. Um, and, and this product is for anyone and everyone. So I want to shift to a little bit more, I guess, practical strategy when you're thinking about intentionally crafting a brand story, how do you create what I'll call positive emotional vibes between consumers and companies, right? That, that, positive affinity, brand affinity 
when you think about Apple, you think about it in a positive light instead of, you know, the image of United Airlines dragging somebody off an airplane as like a negative brand affinity. Um, what, what are the things that you look to? Is it color science, typography, iconography? Like what are the different elements that you think through and consider when you're trying to intentionally craft a brand to have a certain kind of emotional impact? Yeah, you answered some of the question, which is definitely color obviously plays a role. Typography also plays a role in how things feel or look. The interaction between if it, if it includes photography, like what's that style of photography? If there, if we're talking about there, if there needs to be an influencer or there needs to be someone else associated with the brand, what is that? How does that personality connect to the personality that we're trying to perceive in the brand? But a big one, which like I think. Again, I'm not trying to sell our company, but I say you are responsible for, and this sounds a little bit um, self-help, but everyone is responsible for the energy that they bring to the room. And if you bring positivity, like yields positivity, and if going into a marketing organization where, and, and some of our clients where, you know, they're, they're pushing numbers all day to tell us that the best meetings they have, or when they get to sit down and talk about creative if we bring a positive attitude or a positive message and a, the, our positive energy to the experience, I think that transcends through the process, transcends through the work, and then transcends through the, the campaigns and um, just the brand in general. I mean, it's something really easy, but I think it's something that, you know, um, what do they say? You're only, I won't, I won't use a curse word, but you're only, your culture and your, um, your culture and your team is only as good as like the, the biggest jerk in the room. Right. So you have to apply that too, when you're thinking about the brand teams that you're working with and the brands that you're developing and working on um, and being able to be honest enough to call that out when it's ha- when, when you see things that are maybe going in the wrong direction and empathy is important too. I think um, empathy, not just for, not empathy of like who we're targeting and who we want to talk to and understand uh, what it's like to live in their shoes. Uh, I had, I had the, a really, I had the privilege of joining an insights team that was studying um, to develop a new alcoholic product for um, Americans that are, you know, uh, Mexican or, or Latin American, um, Hispanic, there are a number of different words used to describe the market uh, but going into homes of people that in Texas, in Chicago, in Los Angeles, and, you know, them feed, not being asked, but them feeding us dinner and fam- family comes, we're, we're there to talk to, you know, t- 25 to 30 year old males and they're bringing in grandma and the chil- the kids are running around and it, became a very friend, like very friendly, very inclusive, very open environment and, um, changed what we thought actually changed the projection of where we thought the innovation should go based on the experiences that we had. So, and not, not that there wasn't people on the team that, you know, come from those cultures, but to actually feel it and experience it, um, changes how you build that po- that positive um notion or that positive branding interaction and i don't we don't see a lot of that happening much after covid um i don't know if it's the expense of what it costs to do those that type of research but uh something i would love to see um 
come back to the process. For sure. And, you know, when I think about like the tactical elements of branding, the brand guides, brand playbooks being very common kind of decks of mm-hmm. here's how you use our brand and here's how you use different elements and make sure it looks like this and not like this and don't do this. I'm curious how much of that is helpful in the sense of unifying, for instance, the blue that you're using in your typography and just creating a consistency and how much of that can also then become a hindrance from applying the messaging or the story, depending on the platform or medium you're in. Right. So, so like I've seen brands that they have a very particular visual style on Instagram, and then they're trying to bring that to LinkedIn without recognizing the context of the content they're using. And maybe we actually do need a different photography style here in order Mm -hmm. for it to resonate with the people on this platform. But because it doesn't fit into the brand playbook, they're just kind of like deferring back to that as like the holy Bible of their company's marketing message. So what role does that consistency or that kind of unified approach to how you're presenting the brand in the market and in the places where you're interacting with people? Like, what are the strengths and the weaknesses of that? Just so that as companies develop their own kind of brand playbooks or media guides, they know like which rules to break and when in order to actually get the result that they want. That's a fair question too with guidelines and, you know, where we go with standards. But consistency is great if you can maintain consistency. But you also with that have to have flexibility and to understand that sometimes the brand has to evolve depending on where where culture is going. So like paying attention to where culture is going and not just changing a photography style to meet, uh, you know, and, and asking yourself, you know, do we even belong on LinkedIn? Like, do we belong? Like what, where do we, where do we have the right to actually live? You know, um, I think that's a lot of times I think we, we, some brands try to be all to everyone. And I think if that comes off as not genuine, right, you have to have some, you have to mean something to to someone you can't be, you can't make a, that line is as a parent, you know, like you're not going to make your kids happy a hundred percent of the time, you know, like there, there's going to be some, some people that just aren't going to, aren't going to get it. And that's okay. You know, I think, um, the understanding is, you know, we want in, in marketing, we just tend to want to make sure that everyone likes us and everyone wants to buy us, but it's not, it's just not the case and it's just not practical. So when we're developing brand guidelines, we like to say that they're, they're kind of, they're the starting point. I think as we, we've done some round table, um, uh, workshops with a lot of the other agencies that touch the brand. And so you will bring together the PR team. We'll bring together the media team. We'll bring together, um, anyone that might have the social team, anyone that might have, be, and we talk, we call them tabletops. And when you put everything up on the wall and, and look at it all together, there's a lot of inspiration that you get from seeing what some other, what some of the other teams are doing. And then there's other teams that are like, that are kind of checking themselves with like, Hey, wait, I should, I see where things are maybe kind of moving in a different direction and not, you know, following the guidelines or following the voice or following the vision that we need to make sure that there's consistency. So people know who we are. I mean, they know that we're not, we're not a, we don't have two personalities or three personalities out in the, in the world. Um, they, they understand it and they can play back to us what, what, 
consistently what they're getting out of, of what it's like to, to to have our brand in their hand. Yeah. And I think ultimately we're like in my mind, like the rubber really meets the road is like, you know, it's it's like Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. I feel like every brand has a great strategy until you put it out there and you start engaging with people. And now it becomes a dialogue instead of a monologue, right? And so now there's like a mutual interaction. And especially with social media and just the rapid rise of the influence of user-generated content. Mm-hmm. Like I think about that iconic, you know, ocean spray TikTok is just this dude on a longboard drinking a giant jug of cranberry juice right. that did more for their brand and their, you know, market share than any campaign that they put together. And, you know, so there's also a level of like certain distribution channels you have a hand in controlling because you're the one creating the content. But then ultimately, if you're intersecting with culture in the way that I think a lot of brands hope that they can, you have to then be willing to give up a certain amount of creative control for people contributing to the messaging that you're creating in the community that you're building and the perception that you're building. So how do you coach brands on that? Because I imagine with especially like, established brands that have a history and a longevity and a certain momentum, it can be difficult to kind of let go of that homage to the past and innovate within the constraints of what they're comfortable with. And I imagine that's a lot of give and take, but but how do you manage that tension of like innovating, pushing forward, but then still staying attached to the core identity of what the brand has been? I think it's just being careful to not be too reactive to what's going on, because as you said, things can happen quickly and then disappear, right? Um, what, I mean, Stanley, the big cups are mm-hmm. hot right now. I mean, my, my daughter has one. It doesn't fit in the cabinet. Like it's, you know, <laughs> and you hear all these parents complaining about these big cups, right? And well, how did that become popular? It's all because of influencers, right? It didn't, you know, they're, that, that brand didn't start out as a thermal cup brand um but it's durable it's it is durable right like so you know i think that some of that is backing off a lot of what yeti had done years prior but like something maybe a little bit more attainable still but yet still expensive um so like i think it's a moment that we have to pay attention to and understand why like understand the when we if we are going to react or we are going to change or are we going to listen to what's happening from the consumer's voice really making sure that we understand why you know why why those why the changes or why the questions or why things are moving in the direction that they are sometimes we can explain them and i don't i think sometimes it takes some time to figure to to figure it out i mean um and that's what i mean by a marathon like you're some you're not always going to get it right like sometimes constant iterative iterative prototyping to understand what's going on is more beneficial than just the whole changeover in what we're doing. So a little bit at a time, I think helps in terms of what, of where we're going. Um, you know, and you know, I, what there's a, there's a statistic of that, you know, like only like one in like 600 new product launches make it every year. It's, um, um, to year two. So, you know, I think a lot of that is, um, Sometimes we don't give them enough time either. So we don't give them enough time to embed themselves into culture. So what does that look like? Like as we kind of like start putting a bow on, on this conversation around branding, especially with the crossover with culture, what's, what's kind of like the, the holy grail of this conversation? Like what's, what's the ultimate pursuit 
when it comes to like branding, culture overlap, integration. You know, you mentioned artifacts, like, you know, I think about the artifacts of my millennial generation, like the Walkman, the Nintendo, uh, cassette tapes, like things that represent something from a period in time and a culture. Like, like what is, what does that look like? Like, what does that take to really have that kind of cultural impact? And again, this, this goes beyond just like make a good cassette player that's mobile, right? That would be a Walkman. Right. But how does that become a cultural icon? Well, I think that's like the Walkman, if you just use that example and that has morphed into, you know, now just live streaming music, but I think it's based on a need that was, that was based on a need, right? Like moving away from radio, how can I, we, how can we have on-demand music and listen to what, like, and how can we curate our own music in a way that works? That took a lot of listening, no pun intended with music, <laughs> but, um, took a lot of listening and then iterative, iterative thinking to get to a point to, to where that was. I think that also had a really strong point of difference of what, was meaningful in the marketplace. So like being able to hold on to that point of difference and last generations um, is really, really um, important for the, the greater. Ter- I think there's like, you have to be willing to be in it for the long-term su- success and like be then, but then also being able to be open to evolve. And, and I think watching that evolution to me is more uh, is a strong proof point in you know, brands really believing in themselves and also believing in, you know, that, um, in, yeah, really believing in a strong purpose. Um, I would, I would say is, is the way to, to move forward. I think if, when you stray away from that purpose, it really does start to convolute where, where and what you stand for. And I think, um, it's hard enough for people to understand the purpose you're trying to get out in the first place. Um, you know, um, but yeah, your Walkman's a great example because I think it's, you know, I, it may be besides like, um, it may be probably the first that was like fully mobile way to listen to music or to listen to story, um, anywhere and everywhere that you were at, as long as you had batteries. Yeah. I mean, it definitely beat lugging a boombox around, you know, exactly uh, which is what exactly. we had before that. Uh, well, Jim, I really appreciate you sharing all your insights uh, with us and, and really helping us dig into the the psychology of branding, not necessarily just the implementation, because I think you really need to have a solid understanding of both to pull it off. Uh, where can people go to learn more about SoulSight and the work that you do there and then also to connect, connect with you personally? Um, the best way to, um, find out more about SoulSight is soulsite.com. Um, if you want to connect with me personally, there is actually a contact us button on the website. I do receive all of those emails. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, but, uh, I'm not on any other social. So, um, that's for my own mental health. And yeah. You gotta have teenage- that focus. If, yeah. If you, if any of you have teenagers, you know that it's just easier to stay off of social than to be, to be on it, to see what's going on. I'll, I'll let our younger staff monitor brands on, in their social, um, in <laughs> the social environment. That's good delegation, Jim. That shows yeah. good, strong leadership skills, yeah. which I know that you've talked about. Another You're there accountable for that. I can't, um, you know, it goes, yeah, I go to unhealthy places, uh, personally with some of the stuff that's unsocial for sure. Um, well, but yeah, I, um, that's where websites, the best place to, to find it. We're going through a bit of a website redesign. Um, some of the work that's on there is a few years old, but, 
um, look for some new work to be posted in the next, I would say, two to three months. Very cool. Well, Jim, thank you again for your time and everything you shared. Really, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Travis. So my number one takeaway from my conversation with Jim is to not overlook the importance of dialogue that, you know, when he was talking about going into people's homes, having conversations, connecting with the people that ultimately they want to resonate with the brands and the products they're launching, that kind of dialogue is so important because we can certainly put together our best guess. This is how we think our brand is positioned. This is how we think we're perceived and just kind of like take that and not consider actually implementing some real feedback from people. And so taking the time to do some real market research, talk to actual customers that you serve, actual clients that you serve, to hear from them what they think about you, how they perceive you. Do they see you as more premium or more value? Uh, What kind of impact does your brand or company have in their life? Do they think about it in a positive way or in a negative way? And really having that stage set so that way you can make strategic adjustments to the messaging you're putting out there, the materials and the marketing collateral you're creating to make sure it's all aligned in the direction of where you want your brand to go and ultimately what you want to shape yourself into. Make sure you check out Jim's company, soulsites.com and connect with them on LinkedIn. Both those links are in the description below. I hope you enjoyed another episode here on the Honest Marketing Podcast. And until next time, stay honest. (laughs) 